say the words hello everybody I laugh hysterically for some stupid reason so we won't start the, this edition of the life of Brian with those words yeah well you did last <laughs> week so hi everyone and then that's hilarious yeah, well it was hilarious well I don't know why well it was a, well see because under normal circumstance I haven't been seeing you we've been doing these things remotely but I've, yes. got, I've got you in the studio with me now all right so the dynamics change completely welcome to the life of Brian Dot, 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 annex, that is. All right. Uh, thanks to uh, Murcotts, Murcotts Driving Excellence, one three hundred five 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 seven six 555 576 Right. It's as simple as that. So we have a blockbuster show. We've got our old mate back on today. <laughs> our old buddy. Mark Opitz. Well, he's on again, part, <laughs> part 796 of Mark Opitz, but it's a good one today because yeah. he's talking about um, – Talking about ACDC. ACDC and NXS's uh, album yep. and uh, Kiss. Yes. So fascinating stuff coming up from Mark Opitz. But no, our old mate is Our old buddy. Alice Cooper. Yeah, Alice Cooper. Ha oh, ha. That'll be good. I love the fact that, you know, we get to t- chat to Alice. Yeah. You know, he's my idol. He's got a new album. I know, it's a beauty. And it is a beauty too. It's got he's some got great he's got, songs on yeah, it. Yeah, it's really rocking like his early stuff. Yep. And we're going to play two songs. Of, I've picked my favourite song off the album. You've picked yours and we're going to play those uh, on this podcast well, I don't know today. if it was my favourite. It was just a little bit of a departure for Alice. So yeah. It stood out to me. Well, I like the whole album. And so is the one I picked is a bit of a departure for. Yeah, so we got Alice on and we'll play those two songs that sound least like Alice. <laughs> That's not really. <laughs> Whoops, we may have a problem. We should have thought about this a bit more no, seriously. We'll play, we'll play a bit of Detroit uh, as well. The, oh, right. the, the, the What's sort of the title track of the album, the one that has all the, uh, the mentions of all the uh, other bands and stuff. The Rockin'. Iggy and all that. Uh, so we'll play, we'll play a little bit Quattro. of that. We'll play a bit of Detroit City 2021. Our old mate, Susie Q. Yeah, mentions Susie Q in it. Yeah. Mentions uh, your mate, Bob Seger. Uh, Bob Seger. <laughs> Bob Seger. He's a Detroit boy. Ted uh, Ted Nugent gets mentioned in Ted it. Ted Nugent, and double gonzo. Iggy Pop. Ted Nugent, good guitar player. Yeah. Great guitar That's player. why my guitarist in my band's called Rock and Ronnie Gonzo. Oh, because of Ted Nugent. Because he had that double gonzo album. Yeah, I remember that. Is it the live album, was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, well, he had that album and he's, you know, he's just learning to play guitar and he learnt everything on that album. Is that right? And he played a lot like Ted Nugent ah. at the time. And so that's where he became rockin' Ronnie Gonzo. Who recently had a uh, milestone birthday. He did. He turned 60. I went up to Sydney and uh, we went out and spent did a lot of a, money at lunch. And Did you go on a boat cruise? No, I just went down to the uh, harbour. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but uh, spent a lot of money at a at the oh, some s- spice temple. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't like the food because I don't <laughs> like Asian food, but it did cost a lot, so oh, that's good. Goodness me! And also on uh, this uh, podcast, the Soul Movers. Oh, which is Murray from the uh, Wiggles. Yep, the Red Wiggle, and uh, this band he's put together. They actually had their album launch uh, in uh, in Melbourne in the last week or so. Uh, so we've got them on as well, Murray and Lizzie, to talk about their evolution album. We're going to play one it's of their tracks. A, it's as well. a great album. We got a lot of tracks to play. Oh, we got How more. about we play? A we got bit more of... tracks than Sid Vicious. <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> How about we play a bit of uh, Detroit uh, City 2021? Now this is Alice. All right. Alice do an Alice and then we'll come back and talk to him. Okay.
That's Alice doing Alice. That's Alice, uh, Detroit City, 2021. Rock we're going to play the other two songs a little later on. Now, Alice, um, this was uh, basically promotion for this album. Yes. So I, I'm assuming Alice is sitting in his home and uh, they're making the phone calls to all the various yeah. uh, podcasts and radio stations and all those things. Yeah. So uh, we were down for 8.30. Right. So at five past eight, mm-hmm. I've gone to the toilet. Yes. Uh, thinking that that's fine. Yeah. My phone rings now. I I, I don't. Uh, I'm not a. I don't talk about uh, bodily functions. Uh, I do. Uh, I, I know you do, but I don't. So I had my phone there, and I looked down at my phone uh, sitting next to me on the thing, and it's got United States. And I'm thinking, oh, oh. what's going on? Obviously, Alice is running late. So right. and so I answer it. Right. Hello. I went. Yeah, is it uh, Alice Cooper? And I went, yeah, yeah, mate. And I'm thinking who, you know, it's the... You're trying to do some paperwork. Yeah, I was. And I'm thinking, I said, mate, you're 25 minutes early. I mean, we're not ready. I need, I need, uh, he said, we're ready to go. I said, well, um, I need I need at least five minutes to get down to the studio, get Brian on the line and do all that. Oh, okay, fine. Right. So I hang up, go, finish and 
come in, sit this. Can you wash your hands? Just, yeah, I did. Good. Uh, uh, <laughs> God, I'm such a cleanliness fuck. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hi, do I go? So, uh, get in the studio here. Uh, get you on the line. Get the connection. Next week, the phone rings. Boom. Okay. Hello again. I said, Oh yeah, that's great. And as you'll hear in the intro of the of the interview, I didn't realise who it was. But you'd know, you'd know Alice if you were talking to Alice. You'd well, not be when well you're aware not. Ex- well, not when you're sitting on the toilet, and not expecting it to be Alice. You expect. Well, that's what Alice sound. likes to ring up when you're on the toilet. Well, I thought it was a sound engineer, so I've done, obviously Alice you is phoning pro- me on the camera. Were you providing a bit of sound <laughs> for him? Were you? No, I was not. <laughs> you were no, you, you no, weren't. You were no, in there. We're not talk- we're not you weren't. You about weren't it. bludging. You were no. in there working your guts no, out. No, we're not talking. You about were working that. your guts out. We're not talking about that. I can't. I can't talk about bodily functions. Oh, right. just, it's not my number. So anyway, yeah, so I, I now discover that it was Alice Cooper who phones me on the top. And then, so with that in mind, we sit down to start the interview, the phone rings, yeah. and this is what happened. <coughs> Hello. Hello, yeah. Hello, how you doing? Yes, we're, we're, I'm, I'm in the studio. Brian's in the studio with me, so we're, we're right to go. I apologise for before. No problem at all. Now you're the you the engineer at Alice's uh, the radio station studio, are you? No, I'm actually Alice. Oh Jesus! Oh, Eric, the other guy. Fucker. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can actually be Alice, but I'm actually Alice. <laughs> Fantastic! My a, a thousand apologies, Alice. Uh, we haven't. Well, it's been it's, it was August last year when we spoke last, so you know we uh, things have changed. You know, n- none of these. Nobody, nobody has all this down yet. My my house looks like some kind of weird studio here for Zoom and everything else. Oh, okay. But uh, <laughs> hey, you, because of, you know because of the whole thing. Yeah, your twenty eighth studio album. My God, that's a lot of albums. Yeah, you know it's uh, the original band. You know we only did like uh, five or six albums, the original band, and then after that. You know, I just kind of took off and just kept doing albums. I, I got sober, and so I, I got very productive, you know. And uh, I tried to do at least one album every year or two years with, with Ezrin or somebody, you know. But it was, you know, I never wanted to stop writing songs. Everybody says, why are you making albums now? Because nobody buys albums. I said, well, yeah, but you've got a million people out there that are Alice Cooper fans that want to hear new music. Yeah. I don't care about making money on the albums. Just make the albums so they can hear new music. <laughs> Yeah. It's a really rocking album. Um, the cool thing about it was when you go to Detroit, you got all these great musicians. And I've known these guys since 1969, you know, and they're still playing as good as they've ever played. So I said, since we're in Detroit, let's just, let's not use my band. Let's, let's use a band that we put together of just Detroit players from MC5 and, you know, uh, all these other bands. And, and they were so good that we did the whole album live in the studio. I mean, we didn't really layer the album. We just, played the tracks, you know, and then I sang over the tracks. Hey, Alice, what is it about Detroit? I mean, uh, obviously really well known for the Motown sound, but also, the, as you mentioned, MC5 and, uh, the, uh, you know, the, all the bands that came out of uh, out of Detroit, Nugent, Bob Seger, yourself. Um, uh, why did that happen? Why? What's, what's unique about Detroit? I think Detroit is um, a bit of an underdog city. It's one of those cities that... Uh, well, I mean, it's, first of all, it's very industrial. It's uh, all Everybody works in the car factories there. And uh, in the 70, 60s and 70s, it was just one of those, it wasn't a sophisticated area. New York had its sophistication and L.A. had its, you know, the doors and 
San Francisco had their Grateful Dead. Detroit had every band that came out of Detroit was a guitar-driven hard rock band. You know, the Stooges, the MC5, Alice Cooper. I mean, when we moved there, it, we fit right in, like, you know, like the empty finger in the glove, uh, because we were doing exactly that. And L.A. hated us because we were just too hard rock for them. Detroit just had that. It's, it's well, Let's put it this way. Here's a city. <laughs> this kind of gives you a picture of Detroit, where the mayor of Detroit in the 80s, I, I think it was in the 80s, got busted for crack. Oh, okay. Oh, and got reelected. <laughs> oh, and he got reelected. <laughs> so, so the people in Detroit kind of went, well, at least he's honest about it. <laughs> Everybody went, okay. So that's Detroit. I mean, it's a really hard rock. You know, it was the murder capital for a while, it was the drug capital. Now it's kind of like become a very cool place to be. You know, and, and it's not just hard rock, it's Motown. I mean, you've also got Motown there. And back in the day, back in the seven, you know, early seventies, we used to get along really well with the Motown guys. They'd come to our shows, we'd go to their shows, and it was just music. And there was no color thing to it. There was no racial, racial thing at all. The wow. um, the the, tra- one, the one track when you mentioned Motown, one track that obviously is really Motown is the thousand dollar high heel shoes, which sounded to me like it could have been recorded. <laughs> it's a sort of song that I I would imagine the Temptations would have done after Papa was a Rolling Stone. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going for on that song. You know, I, I wrote the song and I knew it was going to be a, you know, we needed to represent all of Detroit. And so to me, it was what song is can be taken down that Motown road. And that was certainly the song, you know. Uh, in fact, I, I, I can't imagine some Motown band not doing that song. Oh, yeah. Because it's, it's built for that. You know, we, we brought in the horns from the, you know, the Detroit horns and... You know, uh, uh, Sister Sledge singing all the background vocals on it, and all you have to do is, you know, Bob Ebs- uh, Bob Ezra and I, we just say, well, let's just turn it, turn it a little bit left to right, and and make it and give it that that funk beat, and turn it into, you know, turn it into a Motown song. Yeah. Well, our, our love will change the world is another one that's a bit, um, it's a bit un Alice. It's almost sixties um, ish, I, I reckon. Um, could you tell me about what that, the influence you know, for that yeah. one was? That was, well, the thing about it is, I think, you know, there's a band, there was a band there called Outrageous Cherry in the 80s and 90s. They had, they wrote this song and we listened to it and I could not get this song out of my head. It was just so happy, you know. Then I listened yeah. to the lyrics and I'm going, it's very, it's a very dark lyric against this really happy song. You know, it's, it's subversive, really. I said, I asked the guy, I said, do you mind if I do some surgery on the lyrics and, and Cooperize it a little bit? So, you know, I changed, I wrote different verses and things like that. But I love the idea of a bunch of kids telling our generation to please get out of the way because, you know, their love is going to change the world and we'll get used to it. Don't worry, you know. Uh, and, you know, somehow <laughs> kind of throwing us away. I, I just love that, uh, the whole idea of that. It was very it, had, it appealed to my dark sense of humor, you know, <laughs> because it was just so happy, you know. Conversely, yeah. conversely, um, I Hate You shows your, your dark humor, and I guess the dark humor of the original band, doesn't it? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, when bands break up, they generally hate each other, you know, or they don't want to ever work with each other again. Uh, or is there a financial thing or it had something to do with ego or something like that? Our band 
when we broke up, we didn't really divorce. We just separated. And we always stayed friends. There was never any bad blood between us. Uh, we were, you know, we went to high school together. So, I mean, it was nothing, nothing, you know, everybody made a lot of money. You know, it was one of those things. And it just that we just got to the point where we were not, we were not creating, um, we were all on different pages. And so we drifted apart. But I, I think the idea of I hate you, of actually roasting each other on a song, would tell people that we're not, we don't hate each other at all. Yeah. You know, uh, that we're, we're still best of friends. In fact, they, that band has played on my last four albums. Uh, wow. You know, we've, we've done tracks and written songs on the last four albums. And they're, they still are a very, you know, when they play, it's heavier and it's a lot darker. Yeah. I don't know what it is with them, but they, they, they always played those songs with a, with a really heavy hand. And it's different from my, my stage band, my touring band. Hey, uh, Alice, you, you got sick. You, you got COVID-19. You lost a lot of weight. Are you okay? Oh, yeah. Back to normal. I'm, I'm back. You know, the funny thing was I was trying to lose 15 pounds. <laughs> and I got COVID and there it was. And I went right down to what I wanted to be, except that I was exhausted for like three weeks. I mean, I was, uh, maybe a month even, where I, I didn't have all the, you know, the, the uh, nose and throat and all that stuff. I didn't have any of that. But I couldn't eat and I couldn't sleep. It just Ooh. attacked me in a whole different way. Wow. But I've had, you know, I'm back to normal now and uh, I've had all my shots, you know, and everything. So I'm like a big walking antibody right now. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are having uh, concerts over there now, right? Yeah. Yeah, we are. So, yeah, things are starting to turn around here now. That's great, man. That's great. I can't wait to get over there again. Last, the last show we did was that thing with Queen in Sydney, oh, you know, yeah. for the, um, the fire. Yeah. 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 Good on you for doing that. Yeah. Well, we can't wait that to have you back over here playing the new album, and um, we'll be there in the front row. <laughs> well, we cannot wait to get over there. Everybody loves going to Australia, I'm telling you. It's like it, when you get there, nobody wants to leave, you know. So it, it, you have a very good reputation with rock bands, you know. People love coming to Australia. Oh, it's always nice to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, one of my favourites on the new album, Alice, just before he goes, Drunk and I'm in Love, uh, the, the opening line just made me laugh out loud. I saw you, lady, and I pissed my pants. It's just a, it's, it's a really, really, really funny song. Well, in every city, you know, uh, there are people living under the bridge in, in, in cardboard boxes, and, you know, and it's unfortunate, but uh, it's there. And this guy lives in his box, and he sees another a girl in another box across the uh, place, and he's in love with her. Yep. And so he's just trying to get her to live in his box over there. And it's a love story every bit as valid as, as Romeo and Juliet. Yep. You know? But it, we got to do a blues thing on there, and we got Joe Bonamassa and Steve Hunter, and I got to play harp on it and sing. So it, it, that did represent the blues sort of thing of Detroit. Yeah, you've done, you've done, you've covered all the Detroit bases. Detroit 2021, where you mention all the other, uh, you know, Bob Seger and Susie Quattro and all that. That another great little song yeah. there too. Great little rocking song. Yeah, we grew up with all those guys. We were all we were all local bands, you know, just opening for everybody back in those days. Nobody had made it yet, you know. Susie Quattro was. Uh, we were all just local group. Yeah, and finally, just just you know, eventually everybody ended up making it. But we didn't know that at the time. 
Hey, Alice, I know they're going to cut us off, but thank you so much for your time. Apologies for the beginning of the interview. <laughs> I didn't realise it was you. Oh, but... no problem. No, no problem, guys. <laughs> but was, you've got a, no, nothing. You've got a second job now as a, as a studio engineer <laughs> and, uh, you know, phone caller if, if to fall back on, which is good. <laughs> yeah, no, believe me, I'm a, I'm a techno-tard, so yeah. that would never work. <laughs> exactly. Hey, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. And we, we're dying to see you here in Australia live again. Yeah, we cannot wait to get back. So as soon as they let us go, we'll go. Thanks, Alice. Thanks, Alice. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.
right, that is the song that you've chosen off the Alice album. Yeah, that I th- you thought like. it was a bit of a departure for him. It's uh, quite poppy for uh, yeah, for Alice, but yeah. um, he's a very diverse performer. Huey Lewis and the News could do a good version of that song. No, I don't think they could. <laughs> I don't think they could. You know. Our love will change the world. Yes, it will. That's the name of that song. And that uh, that album is uh, is available now, Detroit City Stories. And we're going to play a song later on, which we talked to him about uh, in that one, which is the one that I reckon sounds like The Temptations could have recorded after they did Popper Was a Rolling Stone. Yeah, and you know, I love it. you know who rang me up the other day? Who? Elton John. Oh, you, were you on the toilet? I was having that. Stop I was taking a dump. Stop it. Yep. <laughs> This is not going to become a recurring theme. Gene Simmons gave me a call. (laughs) You don't like Gene Simmons. I was taking a dump. You don't like him. (laughs) I do. We're going to talk about him later uh, with Mark Opitz. But now (laughs) on uh, The Life of Brian, it's time to talk to the Soul Movers. Now, you might not know who the Soul Movers are. Hang on, I'm just positioning myself on the toilet. (laughs) Not doing this whole show in the can. All right. When we say. Well, you said you wanted to get the show in the can. No, I didn't mean that. Bloody idiot. Now, Murray Cook. And, uh, and Lizzie Mack are basically the soul movers with some great players that they have on. And they've got an, an album out called Evolution. Uh, and we're going to talk to them about that. Murray, of course, was the Red Wiggle. Yeah. Yeah. And I tell you, this is a very, very good band. Yes, it's... it's we're going to play one of their songs called Hey Girl at the end of this interview. Hey Girl. Yeah. How you doing? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't think it, it doesn't go like that at all. Lizzie's got a hell of a great voice, so let's catch up with them and then let's uh, play a little bit of uh, what they've got to offer, the Soul Movers. Yeah. The Soul Movers, this is your fourth album. Now, I'll, I'll be honest and say but you've snuck up on us with this being your fourth album. So when did all this start? <laughs> oh, 2007 with Dennis Tech on guitar from Radio Birdman. Oh. Not many people would pick that switcheroo. No. From Birdman to Red Wiggle, so wow. I was pretty impressed with that fast move. So yeah, that first one was done with, and I think there's a few jokes around at the moment with kids in the kitchen. Craig Harner Studio Hot House down yeah. in St Kilda. Yeah. So we were living in the states, but we zipped over and dropped that album and toured it to about 2009, and then put it up on blocks for a while. And Murray put the wheels back on in 2013, and. We've kind of been cruising ever since. Three deal album deal with ABC Music, and this is our third one for ABC. Hey, yeah. you did this one. <laughs> you did this one with Garth Porter and, and Tony Mitchell, who are, you know, Brian and I know them exceptionally well from the from the Sherbet days. But uh, Murray, is that right? Yeah. That, is that right, Murray? That Sherbet were the first band you ever saw live. So yeah, I, I went to see Sherbet when I was thirteen. It was the first band I saw, and I went along. I, was, I lived in Orange, New South Wales, and you know, not not much music came through there at the time. Just every now and then. But Sherbet used to come through every year. They kind of really pioneered the regional touring. And what was it like, mate? White satin, glitter. Oh yeah, it was all that. Tony doing your space guitar yeah. circle, but circle that, work. Yeah, amazing um, lighting and stuff. And so, you know, I'd been into music for a while, but uh, um, this, this was kind of gave me the idea that Australians do this as well, and yeah. and and they go around and play. And I thought I just thought it was the most amazing thing ever. So I think that was the start of my journey on wanting to to play music and especially playing live music. So. Um, yeah, and so now, like, whatever it is, forty um, something years later, to to, um, to be working with those guys, it would have blown my my uh, my thirteen year old mind. But I kind of took it in my my stride. Yeah, there was a couple of times where he, he looked over and he gave me the nod, and he got a bit excited, and and then he's like, he he did a self calming sort of action, you know, like I saw out of 
I've been a Wiggle for 30 years and I've met Jerry Seinfeld and played Madison Square. I'll just stay cool. But, um, you know, that 13-year-old stuff did pop up a couple of times on stage here because we play with Tony on bass now. And um, he looks around and just goes, oh, my God. <laughs> I, I know that look. I know that look really well. He just gets really excited. And I think that's one of the things about music, isn't it? You know, you, you shouldn't do it unless it still gives you that swing. And uh, it certainly does for Murray. Yeah. And it was just great. I mean, Gus has had a 20 or 30 year career as a record producer. He did a lot of country stuff, but, you know, he's still got that pop sensibility. Mm-hmm. And so to, to write and record with him was really great. And it was just kind of the first time we really um, had an outside producer in the past. We've just done it ourselves so it was a bit of a different working experience but uh yeah we felt like we were back in 1975 working <laughs> on you know some new songs for like a uh what's that what's those stretch jeans the fabulous stretch oh, jeans yes. i reckon <laughs> something like that and especially hey girl when that when i hear that i just go this isn't a 70s jeans commercial yeah. i don't know what is you know <laughs> <laughs> and we kind of thought, yeah. we, we, when listening to the album, that's exactly what we were transported back to, to Sister Sledge and the Pointer <laughs> Sisters and Earth, Wind yeah. and Fire. Yeah. That's the, is that the yeah. kind of feel you wanted? Well, that's what we ended up with, you know, and it's funny because one of our drummers, Calvin Welch, was in Earth, Wind and Fire, so I know exactly what you mean because Ooh. I used to ask him to turn a bit of that on every once in a while. It was fun. But I, I think that's the thing, isn't it? You know, when you're working with the producer, we said to Garth at the head, We've said we're going to follow you. We're going to give you our gust, and wherever you lead, we will we will go. You know, we will one song. Yeah, we were at that's too far. <laughs> and um, he did actually agree afterwards when we said, "No, nah, we're not going to include that little sparkler wow. on. That's just too far from the dark soul stuff." But, but I think <laughs> songs like Splinter and um, As I Take and those kind of so- we've actually done Splinter before we met with Garth and that's why we brought it out as the first single because it's sort of showing where we were um, and you know Hot Sauce is probably um, and, and Evolution and songs like that are probably much more where Garth took it. I do, I'm looking at a photo of you uh, Murray and you're wearing a satin shirt and I just wonder if this is this is this is still the sherbet influence on you did you, uh, did you- <laughs> Did your thirteen-year-old self rush out and buy a pair of satin flares when you have to, when you were thirteen? Or? Still not really available from uh, Jean Junction in Orange back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but I certainly had the uh, the, the powder blue um, Bogarts and uh, oh, you nice. know. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me you couldn't get the satin pants in Orange because, from what I can gather, it's easier to get marijuana in Orange. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure, I, but I that's that's what I've heard. Oh, God. It's funny, the, that, that Amico Hall discussion I had with Murray's mum and dad, because we actually took them back to Orange and made a little doco about growing up there. And Murray's mum said to me, there was Murray was always a very good boy and did exactly what he was told to do, apart from one night when he was down at the Amico Hall seeing this band called ACDC. Ooh. And he said, they rode down, they rode down on their bikes, him and his mate. Was yeah. it Peter? Peter Pritchard? Okay, so Peter and Peter Preacher rode down, but it was one fifteen in the morning and the boys still weren't home. So she said, we think we'd better pull the car out, Russ, and we'll drive down and see what happened. And his dad was the local copper, so it was pretty serious. And um, they drove down, there they are, halfway up the road, pushing their bikes, we not riding them because there was too much to talk that's about. Right. We had to debrief. So I had to oh. debrief from ACDC, and I think that's where the, the true infection of the hard drive rock and roll were 
just completely blown up at the roots. So, <laughs> yeah, that's when it all really... Sherbet was the warm-up, but ACDC was the, <laughs> you know, death blow. That was it for him, you know. I was <laughs> hey, hey, Lizzie, was your background as a reporter for 60 Minutes? My God, can you get to the uh, the heart of the matter quickly? Uh, I, I have actually been a writer and, you know, my background is communications and film. So, yeah, I have a little screen in between my two eyes and I can just play anything, anytime, night or day. So it is quite handy for communicating, having also been a high school teacher. Mostly oh, okay. HSC, so yeah, I have to convince people of what I'm saying on a regular basis. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, <laughs> hey, who wrote who wrote yeah. the songs on the album? Where did the song where did the songs come from? The songs usually start off in my head, and for example, we were just talking about Splinter. That came from me watching Killing Eve and going, "Wow, what kind of a sicko would do that?" And oh, yeah. you enjoy it and look so look so good in the process, you know, like a a fashionistic drill kill girl, and I thought. You know, like, because you do have to condense things so much, ideas into songs, you really have to, like, slam them down to, like, the, the, the core ingredients. And I just went, she has to have, like, a splinter in her heart. Oh. You know, like, yeah. something yeah. so wrong at the store, you know, that that fractures the lens that she sees the world with. So I was, to- I was just toying with this idea of having a splinter. And then, you know, I love Julie London and I used to sing a lot of jazz and I just sort of pushed those two ideas together and, and out came Splinter. So I would say the ideas from the songs, the jumping off point and the words come from me and sometimes melodies come with them and then I open it up to Murray and and then the band. So we usually go to band with a chart, but, yeah, I, I probably have either the, you know, hooks or verse or, or, or chorus and, and Murray's really good at helping me sew those ideas together. Yeah. And then a bunch of them we a bunch of them we did lovely took what we had and went to Garth mm. and uh, and he added them and there's a couple of songs like um, Evolution, Evolution. Um, like maybe had the lyrics but um, Garth came up with a lot of the music so it's kind of a real it was very collaborative this time and, and um, I think that was really quite rewarding and, and interesting too because because Garth's a keyboard player too he approaches music in a He's different way from a, from a guitar player yeah. which I am so you know um it was yeah, it was really interesting exercise. But yeah, actually, she she usually comes up with the, the start of starting point, and usually a bit more than that as well. Yeah. And then we all sort of do our bit. Murray, can yeah. I ask you um, if there's a difference between the uh, the current band's rider and the Wiggles rider? <laughs> uh, yeah, there's yeah, there's a significant difference. Well, we did have a lot, and then more, we did have a lot of um, family on the Wiggles. Great. Yeah, but not. No, no booze on the Wiggles rider, as you can imagine. The choice of Summer Love, uh, I mean, obviously the Sherbet connection, but why'd you pick that Sherbet song? Oh, the rolls, mate. Have you heard those rolls? <laughs> I think it's the best Sherbet song. It's just really, it's really, it's a really interesting construction when you yeah. Have- yeah, so it's a bit tricky, and and, um, and also it's just playing it with Tony is just great fun, and, and um, we we haven't coaxed Garth up on the stage yet with us, but uh, that's that's going to come, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> like we haven't got a satin jumpsuit waiting. <laughs> yeah, summer love, particularly like when we came to learn it, you're going from that summer love like no other, and then it goes everyone's all about the summer down blue. Oh like, yeah, it's just such a weird leap, yeah. and then it's. Oh, the big screams and the woo-woo, like this. And um, what did Tony say? Oh, I really like seeing Daryl as a blonde girl. <laughs> <laughs> you can really rely on Tony. He goes, oh, I really love Daryl as a blonde girl. 
and then there were others yeah, that couldn't yeah, tell the yeah. difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I actually put in some screaming at the end that wasn't there, and people go, oh, and then you watch Lizzie turn into Janice Joplin right at the very end. I'm like, yeah, why not? <laughs> Carry on, Carry yeah, on. There was one review that said, yeah, it was like watching Sherbet fronted by Janice Joplin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is pretty good rap, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with the album. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us, and we look forward to seeing you in Melbourne. Yeah, we're looking forward to getting down there. Uh, thanks for having us on. Good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having us. No, oh, pleasure. no worries. Thank you pleasure. for coming Thanks, on. Murray. Thanks, Lizzie. Thanks, guys. Awesome. See you, guys. Bye. 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 Cheers.
Now, they're the soul movers. That's Hey Girl. Good song. Hey Girl. She's got How a you great doing? Not, It's not that sort of album. Hey Girl. <laughs> Why don't you come out of my place tonight? <laughs> no. You can hit the streets or you can hit the sheets. Oh, Ain't no never mind to me. Now he's doing Huggy from... Um, from, from no, that's, that's more Barry White. <laughs> Huggy would be like, yo... We got some professional coming in from Chicago. <laughs> These guys are pros. You guys better be careful. Goodness me! Uh, so check that album out. It's called Evolution. The Soul Movers. Very, 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 very nice good. Stuff. Very nice. Nice stuff. stuff. Now we're going to get to episode three. What would be seven hundred and fifty-nine? Seven hundred and fifty-nine of the Mark Opert story. Uh, and this time we're going to get to some of the things that we wanted to ask him about, but we didn't get a chance because. He's got such great stories yeah. that you just go along with the stories and, and listen like we did, like little kids in class going, yeah. oh, please, Mr. Opitz, tell us about ACDC. He's probably the easiest interview ever because you just give him something yeah. and off he goes. Yeah, it can never be accused of, uh, of not telling you everything that happened. Uh, and we're going to hear a little bit about Kiss. Yep. Uh, it's definitely about In Excess and about Bon Scott and ACDC, all that. That's coming up. This is the – at this stage – this is the uh, the final episode in the series at this point, but there could be series two. Well, he could he could bring him Absolute, back. Absolutely, you know, it'd be interesting. You know, what I'd love him to do put together an album. Of Talk all to Elton John on the phone. <laughs> no, all right, sorry. <laughs> put together an album of all the, of like different bands that he's done because he's done everybody. Yeah, and just grab one song out of each, like grab Reckless from uh, and, and tell the story of that, and put that on an album, like the story, yeah. then the track. Oh yeah, and do do it that way. Like you're talking yeah, little be, story, and yeah. then yeah. I'd love to see him do that. Well, he'd have riff raff by ACDC on it. Exactly. We might do a version of that ourselves at some stage. Riff raff? No, not riff raff. Oh, 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 talk about the songs. <laughs> yes, with Mark, and then play the songs. Uh, well, let's have a listen to parts. No, let's start with a Phil Collins song. I'm happy to talk about that. <laughs> Seven hundred and fifty-nine of the Mark Opitz story. Here we go. All right. So, Mr. Mannix. Question one. Oh, okay. I want to know uh, about the In Excess album in the Bahamas. It sounds like it wasn't a whole heap of fun. Hey? It was in Capri, the Isle of Capri. Oh, okay, Capri. So tell us about that. Uh, I was influenced by the Isle of Capri since I was a kid after I read a book by a guy who wrote about his life there and and it, it changed my life. It made me think that anything was possible, you know, careers and stuff. But then fast forward, you know, to like, Michael Hutchins and myself and my engineer were sitting in the studio smoking a big fat joint about three in the morning. Yeah. As you do. He, Michael was reading Billboard at the end of the console and he said, oh, they're building a studio in Capri. We should uh, we should go there and do the vocals. And, of course, it immediately jogged my mind back to this book that I'd read as a kid that changed my life. And I said, yep, I'm in. And so we ended up in, in Capri and um, at this amazing studio, it, it's overlooking, it was just like paradise. And it was the end of... The whole point of doing it there was it was the end of contract album for uh, Atlantic, I think it was, for, for In Excess. So they said, fuck it, let's just spend some money and have a good time. <laughs> so, in the, so so that that was one of those albums. But unfortunately for Michael, he'd had a pretty bad accident in uh, Denmark beforehand. He was riding push bike through the laner and there was an altercation with a taxi driver who slugged Michael and he hit his head on the ground and, and Michael ended up in, in uh, intensive care and lost his sense of smell and taste and definitely affected him, you know, in terms of anger management as well. He was great most of the time. In fact, he and I shared a villa for, for the whole time we were there for about three months. Uh, yeah, some incidents happened in, in the studio that weren't very savoury, you know. Some, 
we had a lot of great times there for sure. It was a madhouse, you know, like you're away from home. Usually we did this stuff in Sydney at Rhinoceros. Here we are for the first time in NXS's career up to that point, you know, recording away in, in, in Italy. So it, it, it was a, a, a strange time and there was, you know, some, you know, you heard all the stories, you know, Michael sort of was under a lot of duress from his injuries and stuff like that and obviously had some, you know, still recovering from, from those injuries and so there was a lot of division in the band, you know, particularly between Michael and some members of the band. Needless to say, you know, we'd knock off about two in the morning and at three in the morning I could hear furniture being thrown around the place <laughs> and my phone, phone would go and be Mickey. You know, say, oh, fuck these guys, and I'm out of here, I can't stand this anymore. So he, he was in a fair bit of mental pain at the time. So it was, it was a, just a tough time for him. A lot of the words you just got him in the studio said, just sing whatever you pops in your head, and then you'd cut them into some sort of shape later. Is that right? Yeah, that that process we started in um, uh, on, on Welcome to Wherever You Are, but it continued on. Full Moon Dirty Hearts was the name of the album. The lyrics are written on the spot. As, like you're suggesting, other lyrics would be written. For example, the song Full Moon Dirty Hearts was uh, Michael wrote the lyrics on that on the ferry ride from Naples to Capri, which is like, you know, a 40 minute trip. So and it was a full moon. So it was, um, he wrote both lyrics there. But a lot of the time, yeah, we, we would do that. To, to get melodies happening, for example, if there weren't any, any um, uh, lyrics written or a melody written, I'd just get Michael to come in to scat. By scat, I mean just vocal jam, whatever comes into your head, be it a word, be it, be it a sound. And then after that, you know, he'd go away and I'd just go through all those bits and pieces and sort of manufacture a melody around that and then sometimes use keywords as well. So, yeah, it was, it, it, we did that process a lot, but it wasn't 100% of the time. Michael was, he usually had a book of poetry. In fact, one of those songs on that particular album called Viking Juice we were sitting around one night and, you know, Michael was really pissed and everyone had gone to bed except me, Michael, and the engineer. Which, and he said, yeah, I, want to, I want to read um, a poem that I've written called The End of Rock and Roll. And so, I, you know, thinking pretty quickly, I just grabbed the microphone, plugged it into a DAT machine and said, yeah, do it. So he opened his book up and recited this poem. And then towards the end of the record, we had this great bit of music with nothing on there. And I remembered I had this stat with, with the end of rock and roll, this poem he re- he'd written. And so I just basically transferred that to digital and re-edited all the words so they actually fell into place and, and used the end of rock and roll as a chorus. He only said it once in the poem. Made a song out of nothing, if you know. Ah. Were you worried about him then? Yeah, I was more <laughs> funny. Um, I, was, I was more worried about me then. <laughs> Than anybody else, oh. but um, I, I noticed he was getting a little bit insecure. And, you know, like that uh, we'd be sitting in the control room, and all of a sudden he'd bring up Bono, sort of get Bono's advice on something, and you, you know, Bono would be on there and say, "That's no, cool, man. It's okay. You know, just do it, just do it, just do it." So it, it, it was more that insecurity thing that was happening, and I think the insecurity was was mainly caused by this accident because you know once you've robbed of, of most of your senses taste and smell, it's like, you're not used to this. What's going on? Yeah. Is there more damage? Everyone was worried about it. Other people, some people in the band weren't so much worried about him as pissed off. It was a tough time for everybody. Yeah. You know? and, and not only for that, it's also a tough time because 
they hadn't toured on Welcome to Wherever You Are, which was a mistake, I have to say that if you ask any of the band, they would, most of the band would say that Welcome to Wherever You Are is their favourite album, right. as opposed to Kick, which sold, you know, gazillions of copies. Could you tell us about working with Kiss? Yeah, sure. That was interesting. Like, I'd never been a Kiss fan. No, me neither. Michael Gadinsky got a call from uh, Doc McGee, you know, legendary manager, Kiss, White Snake Poison, Motley Crue, all those bands, you know, Bon Jovi, Prepare. Doc said, listen, I need, give me three people capable of working with Kiss on an orchestral project and take and pulling it off. And to, to Michael, my great friend, late and great friend's credit, he said, there's only one, Mark Hope, so go get him. And they said, okay, we'll take your word for it. And so that's, that's where it started, you know, and, um, and I can remember my first meeting with Kiss, I was flying down to Melbourne to rehearsals with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. And I, I didn't sort of go up and say hello or anything. I just stayed in the background and let them get on with the rehearsals, let the orchestra work. And, I didn't, and they probably thought, who's this weird guy just wandering around, you know, and you know, just sort of talking to the orchestra and, and, and looking at things from different angles. And so we did, you know, all that. And I got to speak to David Campbell, uh, not David Campbell, Jimmy's uh, son, but David Campbell, the five-time Oscar winner for you know, musical scores, all that sort of stuff. And they had him coming in doing the orchestral arrangements for that big show that we did, which was you know, Kiss Symphony down at, um, in Melbourne at the um, Marvel Stadium. Well, so once we got down together in the studio and, and things, and we ended up working together for about three or four months, and I ended up doing about three or four projects with them. But this first one was really interesting. And it really opened my eyes up to, to just how clever these guys are, particularly Gene and Paul. Gene's the funniest guy in the world. He, like, I'd be working at Sing Sing and he, he, he'd walk in. I was smoking at the time, you know. And, and he'd walk in and, and uh, while, while I'd walked out, he'd write messages on my cigarette saying, you know, do not smoke, this will kill you, whatever. The, these guys came from dirt poor beginnings. You know, Gene grew up on a dirt floor. You know, uh, Paul grew up in the Bronx, I think, in New York City. Was, yep. They were just dirt poor, but they always wanted to make it. But they all, always knew that they had to have an edge, and that's where the makeup came. And, and consequently, from that makeup, Paul Stanley, Star Child, said to me that the most, the smartest thing any musician has ever said to me, bar none, and, uh, and the, most, the most intelligent thing, the most the cleverest thing, whatever. And I, because I asked him one day, you know, we were sitting down having a bit of a break, and um, I said, "Why'd you take the makeup off?" And he said, "So we could put it back on." <laughs> and I said, "Fuck, that's a genius, absolute <laughs> genius." Then I reminded him of Coca-Cola changing their formula back. Do you remember that when Coke yeah, changed their yeah, formula? Yeah, new Coke. And and the reason Coke changed it, they, and they swear they didn't, but I know this, this is a fact, was that Pepsi were catching up with their taste tests and all this sort of stuff. And so Coke said, what are we going to do? And some smart person said, well, let's change the formula. And, of course, once they changed the formula, everyone in the world had to try the new formula, didn't they? Yeah. Everyone. So sales went through the roof. And, of course, everyone after about three or four weeks says, hang on, we want the old Coke back. Coke didn't have to say it. They got everyone in the world to say we want yeah. the, the old Coke back. They got up. They got the public to do their own advertising for them, if you know that. Yep. Yeah. And, and of course, Coke said, the Coke executives said to their other executives, do not fire until you see the whites of their eyes. <laughs> In other words, do not change that formula back. Just keep them asking. Let's build a crescendo. Let's build a crescendo. 
it's one of the cleverest marketing campaigns of all time. Yeah. And and then you know and then as as it got out of control, Coke said, "Now go with the old formula, kill kill a new one." And of course, their sales tripled again. You know, and just left Pepsi dangling in in the dust. You know, and this was done over a couple of year period, and it just Coke just killed it. Pepsi yeah. killed it. And it's just exactly the same strategy Kiss had used. And of course, when I've said to Paul I, the Coca-Cola strategy, he said, oh, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> and so I had to explain it to him. He said, oh, yeah, well, that's what we did. Same thing. But I didn't know the Coca-Cola did. So I thought that was really, really clever, you know, doing that. Yeah. It was interesting, you know, the politics in, the, in, in Kiss was, was incredible. Uh, Gene and Paul owned Kiss. They owned the brand. They owned the faces. Ace's face or Tommy Bayard's face and uh, what's his name, the drummer? Um, Peter Chris. Peter Chris. They owned his face as well, the makeup. In fact, Gene was so clever that once he got on knowing about trademark, he said, well, what else can I get? You know the little dollar money bag sign, you know, yeah. with a bag of money with a dollar? He actually owns that as a trademark. Wow. And he, he could sue anyone. You see ads around everywhere. People have got that little money bag with dollars on if he wanted to, he could sue almost everybody in the world for using his, 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 his trademark, but he doesn't. He owns the word axe as a term when it's referred to a guitar. Wow. You know, he came this close to get, getting the smiley face. Wow. So close. Another thing with Gene, I remember we were in the studio and I was reading a thing. I said, oh, Elvis, Elvis Presley's got his own visa card, picture in the newspaper or whatever, a, a visa card with Elvis's face on it. And, and Jane just looks at me and shakes his head, opens his wallet, pulls out a KISS credit card. It's a big difference between Elvis and me. I said, what's that? He said, every time someone swipes this card, I get paid. So they, these guys had gone from this, you know, rags to untold riches. Yeah. Both of them were super, super clever. I'd go up to, you know, to dinner at, at a Mulholland Drive at um, Paul Stanley's place, which was you know, that was incredible. I had secret passages everywhere. And, oh. and in, my, in his bedroom, he's got this mural. And, uh, I mean, his bedroom's huge. And it's this massive mural of, like, Jesus and the followers, except Jesus is Paul Stanley oh, and all his boy. disciples. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's just vomited in uh, his own mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck. Hey, hey, don't worry. Don't, don't, don't worry, Brian would do it if he thought of it first. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to say, fuck, that's a word that I own the copyright to. Yeah, no, but these guys were living on another planet, you know, and they'd created it for them. And, and you know, as, as, I, as I said, they had no idea when they put the makeup on the first time that it, that would make them look ageless, yeah. you know. And it was such, you know, that was clever in itself without knowing that it was clever. All they did it for was... Same reason that Madonna did what she did, or Lady Gaga did what she did, was to make them stand out from the pack. So, speaking of being noticed, uh, your first gold album was presented to you, and I wanted to ask you about this uh, by Bon Scott. How did that happen, and where, how, did, uh, how do you look back on that now? I, well, obviously, I look on, back on that with a, a, a massive affection. Um, it, it, that when I, I, I can remember that, you know, we, we, we did the Angels. I'm, I knew the album was going to do well while we were making it. I just knew it. But the um, I can remember coming after lunch one day, you know, coming back up to Elbert's from King Street, Sydney, and FIFA jumped at the house saying, it's going cold, the album's going cold. And I was totally non boss by it. And she said, it's your first gold album. I said, well, yeah, but this thing's going to go a lot further. Anyway, getting down to the presentation, very low-key affair. 
EMI sent a bunch of gold records into uh, into Albert's, you know, and it was early days, so that they only just gone gold, but so they did the obligatory gold record. In those days, the obligatory gold record consisted of a, a gold album, no glass on the front. The album had uh, six songs aside. My gold record's got 11 songs on it on, <laughs> on one side. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's because it wasn't a big deal and Bond was in the office, yeah, and I've been doing power aids with them and all that stuff. And Brian had said to me, Mark, you know, allow me to present you with your first gold record, you know, and which was, you know, it wasn't filmed, wasn't photographed. It was just in the office with FIFA and a couple of the angels. And I think maybe Saul Rudd from Apodacus was there. I can't remember. But um, it was like that. But of course, you know, like as history's gone on and and particularly the album that, 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 that I did, uh, with them called Power Rage and a little bit of Let There Be Rock, but mostly Power Rage. And, and Power Rage is, is, I don't know, if, if you look into it, that's both, funnily enough, Gene Simmons, that's his favourite ACDC record, Keith Richards' favourite ACDC record, Power Rage. You know, it's more than the gold record that I look back on working with, with that band. I, I just, I just think, how the hell did I become part of? that little bit of history, you know, working with Vander and Young, the, the classic ACDC album, with, you know, with the best ACDC song of all time, Riff Raff, which on it, if, I don't know if you're aware of that, but that's, uh, Riff Raff is everything ACDC is in terms of chord changes, power, lyric, everything. And it's easily my favourite song, you know, and I remember just sitting in the recording it while and Angus is doing the con- solo in the control room, just me and him. And I can remember just sitting there at the, at the desk and every two seconds the back of my chair would get this massive kick or bump or something. And it was all Angus just dancing around the room, you know, just playing guitar, not trying to hassle me or anything, just bumping into me. But he was so energetic, you know, and he, he would never have his guitar off, ever. He would just smoke a thousand cigarettes and drink milk. He'd take his guitar to the toilet. You know, and in those days we had the first radio um Guitar, and so he'd be playing. I could hear him playing all the way up into the toilet, sitting on the toilet, playing away, <laughs> coming off that shit after coming back into the room. But you know, those those, those were historic days, and and it's and I'm lucky that I've got a great memory for all that sort of stuff. But you know, and then I can remember you know Angus sitting there teaching me riffs and stuff like that, and me trying to get him running. And I did but it became very family with those guys. You know, you'd go out to the young house, out be with the whole family for Christmas and stuff like that. Who haven't you done that you'd like to do? Um, and I mean that in a producing way, obviously. Yeah, I, I, that's a pretty good question. You know, I, I always think that I could have done a killer U2 album. Gee, uh, boy, there's it's, it's, uh, it's just so many, you know, like, I would have loved, you know, Frank Sinatra's not around, and I would have liked to work with him. You know, oh, I would have, uh, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to work with Ray Charles. But there's just so many, Kevin. You know, to come up with that right now—that's that's the sort of question I need yeah. to be asked about a week or so ago, and and, and write down all that sort of stuff. But it's um, just just too many to mention. Yeah, you know, just. Yep. And, and I, I don't intend to stop doing what I do. I was going to say, it, yeah. it also means that your thirst to do what you do is still very, very, very much there. Oh, very much. Like last night, I, I had uh, a call from London about a project that, that we're negotiating at the moment. Tonight, I've got a call into uh, uh, coming in from Germany about another project that I'm doing. 
I just want to get back to it. You know, I mean, you only get so many years on the planet. So it's, it's, I just want to get back into it, you know, and just make stuff. You know, I just want to do quality stuff. Yeah. Not about money. Not about the money helps. It's about just the, the, that special feeling you get when you create something that's bigger than the sum of its parts. That, that great feeling you get when you know you've, you've killed the beast, you've broken the yeah. Back of the, the, the beast, and, and you, it's, it's it's a hard thing to explain, but you know that this thing is gone. Five minutes ago, it was sounding like this, and then five minutes later, it's a totally different sounding thing, even though a lot, not a lot's changed, but it's got a magic about it. And they're the feelings that you sort of really look forward to, you know, and, and that camaraderie of working with people where they trust you with their children, their songs, in other words, yeah. to, uh, to take them to a different level. It's a great feeling, you know, and you feel a lot of responsibility doing it. So it's, it's just part of my my blood. Mark, it's, we've it's really- uh, we've absolutely enjoyed and, and loved having a, a chat with you. And we, we reckon there's, you know, still more parts to come and there's still much more that you're obviously going to do and contribute in the music industry. But we, we do thank you sincerely for the amount of time you've given us because it's been absolutely fantastic. We've loved it. Yeah, thank you, Mark. No, my absolute pleasure. And you know, glad still listening. And your name of your book is uh, Sophistapunk? That's right, Sophistapunk. It's, you know, it's online. It's so easy to get. Yeah, so it's, it's a great book. I read it. It's terrific. Left a lot out of that as well. So that's for, for, obvious, time, for obvious reasons. Time for another book then, Mark? Could well be. Could well be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good on you, Mark. Thanks for your time, mate. Appreciate it. Stay well. You're a superstar, mate. Okay, okay. thanks, boys. Cheers. You too. Bye. Ciao. All right, there you go. There's Mark Opitz. There will be more. There'll definitely be more. Yes. Definitely be more. That'll be good. Uh, now, we're done. We're finished. We've, How do we go we... getting Britney Spears on the show? Uh, not, uh, under negotiation. She wants to talk. Oh. I read it in the paper. <laughs> she wants to talk. She wants to talk at the at – the, she's in court at the moment and she wants to get up and speak. I don't know if her lawyers want her to, but she wants to get up and speak. That's sad. It's really sad what's going on with her. It is. Free Britney. Yeah, well, uh, with every – 750 mil Coca-Cola at your local 7-Eleven. Is that right? Yeah, Free Britney. What, if you get buy a can of Coke, it helps <laughs> Free Britney? Yeah. Really? Why not? Oh. <laughs> Tell you what. Silly things have happened in this world. I was sitting on the toilet for a day no, the other day. Not, no, Just no hoping that Britney would ring me. No. <laughs> having a Britney. <laughs> having a Britney. Oh. oh, no. Oh, what an episode. Oh, goodness me. Now, we're going to move away from all that. We're going to play this fabulous Alice Cooper song to finish us off. Are you going to plug Murcotts again or what? I am. All oh, right. Yes, Murcotts. a bit slack with that Mur- today. Murcotts Driving Excellence, uh, murcotts.edu.au. Give them a call, 1-300-555-576. That is the telephone number. They'll look after you. They'll make sure that you don't have accidents. If you say in the toilet. <laughs> toilet. No, no, it's Seriously. nothing to do with the toilet. No. Kev, this is about driving. Thank All you. right? Can you just get your mind out of the toilet for a oh, second? Because it's about people's safety. In Victoria alone, yeah. every day 49 people are injured in a car accident. Is that right? That's right. Really? Six people die every day in Australia from that's a car sad. accident. That is sad. And that's, that is. And that's avoidable. And that's... yet people think that they can win Tats Lotto. Yeah. They don't think they're going to get in a car accident, but they think they can win Tats Lotto. So give them a call, one three hundred five 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 seven six. That's the number, mercots.edu.au. They are very good people. They know what they're doing and they'll they'll make your life, they'll change your life. They will. Or they will. save your life. Yeah, it could do both. Yeah. Uh, let's finish with $1,000 high-heeled shoes. Alice, Alice Cooper 
from the Detroit Stories album. We thank Alice for being on the program. We thank Mark Opitz. We thank uh, Murray and Lizzie from the uh, the Soul Movers. Yep. And I mean, so just before you're talking about shoes. Don't. Did you hear about Kanye West's? What's Kanye West's shoes got to do with it? The shoes, the runners that he wore when he got up at the Grammys and said, Taylor Swift. They sold somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. 2.2 million. For a pair of runners. For a pair of runners that probably don't fit you. Absolutely. Who would buy that? Well, somebody did. Well, why would you buy them? Well, because you, you've budgeted to spend $1.1 million on <laughs> each foot <laughs> and it just comes in under budget. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. Who has money like that to spend on sneakers? Um, Seriously. Elton John, probably? El- no, hang on. I'll just go to the toilet and get him to call Oh, me. stop uh, it. Uh, <laughs> That's the end. We're finished. That's the. That's the. We're done. Okay. Here's Alice. Bye bye. Sometimes I drive all day till there's nothing left in my tank. Sometimes I drive all day till there's nothing left in my tank.